Hi guys, welcome back. It's Jacqueline. And Alana. And we're here for another episode of Black and Yellow. Welcome back. And today we're going to get back to some tropes. Yes, we are. Yeah, we've gotten a little bit, uh, I guess, current eventy. Yeah, a little inspired by what's going on in our country. Yeah, so now we're going to take it back to the original format of the show and just talk about a trope that I think people talk about and perhaps maybe out in public. They maybe snicker and sneer and go, why are they doing that? So we're going to talk about it today. Yes. It's inspired by a true story Mm -hmm. and a true movie. Why don't you tell it, Jack? All righty. So Alana and I both work in Pasadena at this restaurant, and we get big parties in, large reservations during the all year long, pretty much. And we noticed this one night that this entire group of Asians. Like 20 of them. Yeah. it It was a big group. It was a large group. Came in, and they all sat. And they were all celebrating someone's birthday. And I just, we both noticed that everyone was Asian. Every single one. At this, at this time in today's world, there wasn't a single non-Asian person on that table. And they were all friends. And clearly they were, they were you know, at least in their, I wouldn't say they looked like they were in their 30s. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so they, you know, they've been friends for a while and probably since high school mm-hmm. and all this stuff. And we just kept questioning why they were all Asian and why there wasn't anyone else. And on top of that, our manager at the time, <laughs> our manager at the time, hey, Brett, how you doing? Um, knew them because he went to high school with them. Knew each and every one of them. He knew each and every one of them. They were like, and, and I remember him saying, yeah, they're all friends. I know them. And I went, I was excited. And I went, oh, so do they know you? And he went, nope. Nope. <laughs> And I mean, he went over there and dropped drinks and was really welcoming to them and made allusions to the fact that they had gone to high school together and that they had spent these formative four years together. And it was like crickets. Yeah. And I remember at one point, I, I think I asked you or I must have mentioned something along the lines of why did... They're all Asian. There's not a single no one, no one, no other friend, no other couple, no other person of. And and I I was looking out for the lone white person that (laughs) in this day and age always hangs out with a group of Asians, like a group of Asians and that one sole white person, generally a man, generally a boyfriend of one of the Asian Asian females. You hit it. You hit it on the nail. Yeah. I was waiting for that too. I was like, there has to be at least one white person. He's late. He must be getting off work late and doesn't know how Asian time works. He's coming. Nope. Nope. Never showed up. Never showed up. All Asians. And and for me being Asian and having a lot of Asian friends, personally, I thought that was weird because if I Oh. I had a group of Asians friends or someone someone would have at least we would have, I don't know, it would have happened along the lines of, but, but I'm I'm already a really diverse person, as you guys all know. Correct. But uh, we thought it was very bizarre, so then we thought, so then we thought of this whole thing of, you know, in Mean Girls, that, you know, you can't sit with us. Yeah, and, that and, scene. Yeah, and, and what is that all about? And how much of it is true, how much of it is not true, how much of it is... Uh, people just. E- anyways, we just we wanna we wanna talk about this trope. Yeah. So today we're talking about why all minorities hang out with what seems to be only other minorities, Absolutely. generally people in their own racial group. Yes. So, <laughs> so to start, I think that we have to talk about the before we get into this the 
I guess the more obvious answers of, well, minorities hang out with other minorities because we have shared experiences. We've lived through similar struggles. We were raised in similar ways with similar uh, ideas of thinking. Perhaps your parents had a similar background culture. Perhaps your parents grew up together. Those are all obvious answers, but there's deeper, more psychological answers that we want to get into right now. So we've got two forces at play. We've got the social identity force and the cultural identity force. Absolutely. Social identity is a person's sense of who they are. And you can get that. You can figure that out by perhaps your social class, your family, perhaps your location. uh, If you play on any sports teams, teams like groups that you belong to Mm -hmm. and social identity theory is the portion of an individual self-concept derived from perceived membership in a relevant social group Mm. this is important because social identity ties to things like pride and self-esteem and acceptance and and all of this is obviously getting formed and being developed most strongly felt i think through high school correct but it starts younger than that. Uh, yes. But we'll totally get into that. Then you've got cultural identity, which is the identity or feeling of belonging to a group. So it's similar to a social identity. However, it's a part of a person's self-conception. So a person's self-identity and self-perception. So how they perceive themselves in the world. And it's related to things like nationality, religion, ethnicity, social class, generation, mm-hmm. things of that nature. And one could say, well, isn't social identity and cultural identity, isn't that one and the same? And I guess the answer would be yes, because race and racial identity is a social construct. Ah. So therein, it would be, yes, they could, they're almost interchangeable in that Def- way for some people. Yes, I, I definitely agree with that. So when you're a kid, when I say kid, I mean like pre-K or whatever comes before pre-K, the way that kids identify where they belong is generally by the size of other kids around them, Mm -hmm. the age of other kids around them. Mm -hmm. If you're in a carpool, perhaps the other members of your carpool, those are how kids figure out where they belong in a a, a very general sense. Mm -hmm. But in adolescence, that's where you start to figure out who you are and where you belong when all of that other stuff has faded away. So you're no longer physically small. So you're no longer looking to the other kids that are your physical size. Yes. You're a little more, you have more cognitive awareness as to what's going on around you. The, the interests of other kids or maybe the teams that they're on, the places that they play, what their families are involved in. So you start to get these ideas of where you belong. All of that informs your quote unquote sense of belonging. Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. For a minority, it's a little bit different. It's a little different because we start to learn from a young age about race and race relations. Very quick. And how they play out in our lives. Very quickly. So once we get to high school, most minorities have experienced race, racism on a really personal level. Yes. Discrimination. Correct. Feeling left out, feeling like they don't belong. Uh, definitely uh, is all there at a, right. at, a, at a very young age. Yeah, I would say by about 15 minorities in high school have not only lived through these racial experiences, but are also looking for people that perhaps have shared in these similar struggles, mm-hmm. in these similar hardships. Yeah, for, for connection. Like it, it brings them together. Correct. Whether they know it or not. Right. So as in 
preschool, pre-K, maybe grade school, color of one's skin isn't as important. Yeah. As we get older and we start to have experiences that inform us as people and as ethnic people, yes. we start to look for people who have had similar experiences like us. Yes. I know as an African-American woman, the feeling of being followed around a store by a white employee that makes their presence known and is constantly checking in saying, oh. do you need something? Ah. Is everything okay? Oh, that kind of thing. Or being approached by perhaps white moms and uh-huh. he overhearing them say things to my mom like, her hair is so straight, it's so good, it's so natural and soft. Or your daughter is super well behaved. Things that white parents would not tell other white parents. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. But, but also similarly, those experiences of like being followed around a store, that was not an experience that I could share with my white friends. Yes. Because it wasn't their reality. I agree. And especially when we're talking about those teenage years, some white kids are really aware of race and how race plays out in America today, but a lot aren't. Yeah. Because we're, you know, we're still kids. We're still in high school. Our parents are still trying to keep us safe and shield us. Right. But all of that being said, minority kids are craving and looking for other people who have shared these experiences to form bonds with. Mm-hmm. And I think, especially for minorities, once we get into high school or as far as developing that those friendships in middle school, you start to realize who your friends are and how you connect with them. And right. I think based on how we've lived and experienced, it almost is, a, is an unconscious way of attracting a friend that just has had the same experiences as you. And then it's not like when I made my Asian friends, we we never talk about, oh, yeah, we don't talk about those things. We really don't. Like, right. Like, yeah, is it because you love rice? Or, right. you know. Chicken adobo. Right. You don't ever, ever, it just it just happens. You right. Just, you, you just are on that level and you get each other and that's how the friendship begins. Right. And may stay that way, you know, as far as like 10, 20 years down the line, they're still friends. Yeah. And you carry that idea of of wanting and needing a social foundation with you through college. Mm-hmm. And you generally then go off and you find groups of people that look like you in college as support groups, mm-hmm. as people to turn to when these terrible racially charged events do happen to mm-hmm. you. You want someone who understands. Definitely. There's nothing worse than telling your white girlfriend about this awful racial event that happened to you and her invalidating or discounting your feelings. And it's not that she or he is doing that on purpose. It's that she or he has never dealt with race in such a finite way. Absolutely. But because they've never dealt with it in such a finite way, they don't really know how to go about dealing with it. They don't really know how to go about comforting their friend of color. Mm -hmm. And so often their way of trying to um, quell their friend or make them feel better often kind of makes them feel worse Mm. because they aren't armed with the vocabulary and the experiences to help them through a difficult time like that. I see. So minority kids tend to pull away. Yes. Um, There's a great book about this very topic and it's called... Why are all the black kids sitting together in the cafeteria and other conversations about race? And it's by Beverly Daniel Tatum. And she gives a really great example of, if you can imagine a six-year-old boy at six, he's cute, 
he's playful, he's adorable. So his social identity is with the other cute, adorable kids. Yes. <laughs> However, when that six-year-old black boy grows up and he's 15, 16, and maybe he's much taller than all of his other grade school friends, perhaps he's a little bit more built than his other white friends, mm-hmm. he starts to get a different reaction from people. He starts to get the reaction of perhaps fear. Maybe white people think he's a bit menacing. Perhaps people cross the street to not avoid him because he could be viewed as potentially criminal or something like that. That leaves an effect on that boy. Mm -hmm. That leaves an effect saying these people, these white people are afraid of me. They don't understand me. So I need to go find my group that does. I need to go find the group of people that identifies with this experience. Right, because I think ultimately you're talking about a sense of survival. Correct. In these kids, in in us, as we're developing and going through middle school and high school, and that's what drives us. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, it's unconsciously built into our DNA and our subconscious where where we have to survive. Yeah. And and I keep going back to... I'm going to keep going back to this a lot because I think it was a great movie that really... uh, set the tone or was very, very specific on how vicious high school can be. Yeah. And and the groups of in in Mean Girls, you know, uh just just seeing how they people will do anything and say anything to feel cool or to feel like they belong. Right. I think you're talking about that iconic scene at the beginning or somewhere near the beginning where Lindsay Lohan's character um, links up with the plastics and the plastics are basically explaining the lunchroom demographic yeah. to Lindsay Lohan's character. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what fascinated me the most as I was doing research for this uh, topic that we're talking about today was they talk about, they say there's this one bit where everyone found funny. Even I didn't, and I didn't even question it. Now I'm looking back and thinking, that's so interesting that I was so socially bred to to allow that to be okay, to take it in. Oh. That I didn't even, and it's not that I should be pissed about it or anything, but the fact that I didn't think it was very strange or weird. Uh, the Oh, so we're here. I, I, so what I wanted to say was really the whole, the cool Asians. It was like the cool Asian table. Mm-hmm. And then the I, nerdy, Asian, the nerdy table. Asian table. And that was hilarious. And then I thought, as when I was doing research for this topic, I thought, well, if it was a table of just white people who were cool or white people who were nerds, they definitely wouldn't have said the white cool people or no. the cool white people or the white nerds. It's just normal to see a group of white people hanging out. Right, but it's not normal or it's something different that all these Asians are, or that Asians can be cool or that Asians are nerds. Like, to me, when I was watching that, when I was young, I, I, thinking back of how I didn't even was put two and two together yeah and now looking back thinking and and seeing is like that's very weird that's not i mean it's not weird but it's it's not okay no (laughs) because i do remember that scene because i think there was one of the other groups was the attractive mean black girls i remember seeing that and being like okay well at least we're attractive, right. which was not the right. Yeah. Now that I'm sitting here talking about it, I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe that was my right. reaction. And so it almost feels like it's just sort of like a classification of minority groups. But why the hell do we even have to be classified in the first place? Right. Because if you see a table of white people and you see a table of Asian people, you would look at that table and say, oh, it's just a table of people. Mm-hmm. But you look at that table of Asian people and say, oh, it's a table full of Asian people. And what is that all about? Well, you I know? think there you've got the... 
you've got a sort of double standard at play, the racial inclusion double standard, Mm -hmm. where I think that for white people, when they see a cluster of black people or a group of Asian people all hanging out, the assumption is they're Mm self-segregating. They're just hanging out with themselves and they're not including us. Right. Whereas... From our perception, that's not true. Right. Like, if I saw a group of black or Asian or white, I would I would never think that way. Me neither. Ever. Right. That would mean that the, that would be the last... If anything, I would say, like, oh, they're all... I don't know. There's only one guy. Like, maybe I would notice something different among the lines of, oh, that, that person's really short in the group. Or I, something, you know, the, the color would be the last thing that I would think about. Right. Because we are minorities ourselves. Yes. So, I mean, we're so... We we think about race all the time, that even when we are faced with another racial group, the first thing that we think is not, oh, this group of Asians, or oh, yeah. this group of black and, people. And even if, even if at some point I realize, like, oh, they're all friends, or they're all the same... You know, from the same area, they're all dancers, they're all something, and then they're all black or Asian. Then, then I still wouldn't be uncomfortable by approaching them. That. Oh, okay, yeah, I, I wouldn't be uncomfortable by realizing that. Got it. To me, I see it what be, you're saying. It would still be something normal, like they're friends and they're all hanging out, and right. that, would, that would be the last thing that I that I would be uncomfortable by. Totally, but it's interesting that you use the word discomfort, and I. I was bringing up the double standard because it seems like for white America, if a group of minorities are hanging out together, we are not only are we self segregating, we're totally exclusive. Yeah. You cannot sit with us. Right. You are not one of us. You cannot sit with us. And that is wholly and completely untrue. Totally. We're just hanging out with people that we know that we have either grown up with that we know have similar experiences have similar interests Mm -hmm. how dare we have similar interests with people of our own race um so the assumption is like we're exclusive but we're actually not exclusive there's nothing stopping a white person from going over to a group of asians and being like hey yo what's up or a white person approaching a group of black people and being like sounds like you guys are talking about something really funny can i join the conversation absolutely but i say it's a double standard because it feels like when white people feel are made to feel uncomfortable about race, mm-hmm. it seems like it is up to minorities to make them feel comfortable and mm. make them. It's on us right. to include and yes. bring you in. However, yes. in predominantly white areas, yes. white people don't feel the need to include us. Include us. Not at all. Like, by and large, right. if, that if, is if not anything, there. We have to learn to to we i feel like i have to learn how to be or say or do and depending on where i am or who i who i'm with i generally have a genuine want and desire to do that and to learn but i feel like if you take that on the opposite end they don't as much right exactly or they're faced with the option do i want to include them or do i not yes whereas if a black per- if a white person comes into a predominantly black area Contrary to popular belief, black people are welcoming. So welcoming. We want you there. We yeah. want we want your dollars if you're spending money, but we also <laughs> want you to not feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Whereas I don't think white people really have that thought in their mind. As as like a yeah, I, I think it might come across, but I think by the time it does, it's too late. Well, but I'm even talking about the option to have that thought. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Even just simply having the option to include or not to include is a sign of privilege. Yes. Black people, we don't have that option. No. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Asian people don't have that same option. Mm-mm. 
So that's why I call it a double standard. Definitely. I totally agree with you. And I, I think we can definitely say that only because we've been in it. We've been on both ends. Mm-hmm. And we know what it feels like. Yeah. Completely. Definitely. Yeah. I think what we're also getting at on a larger sense is this idea that white people have the option to be completely oblivious to race and race relations in the U.S. if they so choose to be. Mm-hmm. Or if they were around people that chose that decided to not raise their kids to be racially aware. Mm-hmm. Because when minority kids are growing up, not only are we trying to find our social identity, which is just our identity in the world, but also we're trying to figure out our minority identity. Yes. So there's no way for a minority kid to not think about their race. Not at all. There's just absolutely from, from no birth. Way. Yeah, exactly. And and there's actually something called the Minority Identity Development Model. And it essentially is a five-step model of the feelings and phases that minority kids go through through adolescence, through high school, internally, that is, to try and arrive at a sense of self mm. that essentially benefits their self-esteem, their feeling of placement in the world, etc. So it's, it's kind of lengthy. I'm just going to... Re- give you the bullet point blank ideas and uh, blanket ideas sorry and um, kind of explain it a little bit so you've got stage one which is conformity so the attitude towards a minority kid self is pretty self-deprecating the way yes. that we view race it's in a pretty self-deprecating manner and, it's a, and it takes a it, and it evolves with each age yeah and I think at certain points in my life I've, I've experienced it where it's been worse at mm-hmm. times and Definitely. better at others yeah uh, but go on well well, I was going to say self-deprecating or like we laugh to keep from crying. Yes. Is a good way of yeah. putting it. Our attitude towards others of the same minority group is the exact same. It's mm-hmm. a group self-deprecating mm-hmm. sort of vibe. The attitude towards others of different minority groups is discriminatory. You mm-hmm. don't get me. So I'm not going to hang out with you because mm-hmm. you don't get me. Mm-hmm. So that's the pulling away mm-hmm. that you generally get from like middle school to high school yeah where there's a lot of self-victimization exactly um self-abuse all kinds of stuff that can happen right during those years however your attitude towards the dominant group is appreciative so you find the group that you feel you fit in with and you appreciate that you found them even Mm -hmm. though all of you guys are laughing to keep from crying you're still happy to find that Mm -hmm. support group so then you've got stage two which is like dissonance Mm. and you've got this, the attitude towards yourself, which is the the conflict between self-deprecating and appreciating. Yeah. So you've wised up a little bit. Yeah. You're still laughing to keep from crying. Right. But you're starting to kind of accept yourself. Yeah. And kind of accept your race. Then the attitude towards others of the same minority group would be a conflict between dominated, held views of minority hierarchy and feelings of shared experiences. Mm. So this is my experience. This is what my parents tell me I'm going to experience and I am essentially trying to make sense of Of both of those experiences of both of those worlds exactly the attitude towards others of different minority groups would be conflict between dominant held views of minority hierarchy and feeling of shared experiences so kind of the same as yeah as the step before and then the attitude towards the dominant group would be a group conflict between group appreciating and group deprecating yeah, between group appreciating and group deprecating. Mm. So we as a group, we're still laughing to keep from crying. We have our our foundational support system. We're still trying to get right with the dominant yeah. racial group. Right. So then you've got stage three, which is resistance and immersion. 
So the attitude towards ourself is self-accepting. Yeah. We're like, okay, I get it. I'm a black woman. Shit is not going to be easy. Yep. But I love being black, or yeah. at least I think I love being black. Yeah. So here we go. <laughs> the attitude towards others of the same minority group, you appreciate them. It's a group appreciation. The attitude towards others of different minority groups, it's still a conflict between feelings of empathy for other minority experiences and a feeling of cultural centrism Mm. so essentially you feel you recognize that other minority groups exist and you feel their pain because you've gone through difficult experiences they might not mirror that of what you what you went through correct but you still see them and you still identify with them in some way shape or form. sure absolutely and then the attitude towards the dominant group would be a a big group self-deprecating feeling Mm. Fourth stage is introspection. So you've got your attitude towards yourself, which is a concern with basis, with a basis of self-appreciation. So you're concerned about how you're showing your love for yourself and your social group. You've got the attitude towards others of the same minority, which is a concern with nature of unequivocal appreciation. Mm. You see your people, you identify with them. The attitude towards others of different minority groups is concern with ethnocentrism basis for judging others so do you identify with what i'm going through are we on the same page Mm -hmm. if not i don't want anything to do with you Mm -hmm, kind mm -hmm. of a thing and then the attitude towards the dominant group would be concern with basis of group deprecation Mm -hmm. so essentially some people have accepted their 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 state as a minority other people in your group haven't so it's like let's come together because we can't we can't hate on yeah. other minority groups wholly, fully, and completely. No, we we have to realize that even even amongst the different minorities, we've all somewhat have gone through the same experiences, right. uh, by being minorities or and and so on and so forth. And that there are universal stories, there are universal messages, there are universal feelings mm-hmm. that across the board are essentially the same. Yeah. Uh, depending on where I mean, I, just basically from what you read, I completely experienced that. I grew up in Arcadia, which m- if most of you don't know, we call it Arcasia because it's literally <laughs> all Asian people. <laughs> it was all white people. And somewhere along the lines around the early 80s, I'm going to say just geez, Chinese people just started coming in and, taking- and white people fled. Yeah, they went up north. Yeah. You go up, if you go to, like, Sierra Madre Mm -hmm. or, like, Altadena, not so much Altadena, but, like, Pasadena, they kind of fled there. Yeah. Uh, And they're much older, older, older white people that are still in Arcadia. One could say that those white people who fled, uh, they were self-segregating. I'm just saying. Not saying, but I'm just saying. (laughs) Food for thought. Uh, Yeah, it's very interesting. I remember, I think I've mentioned this before on 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 our episodes, but my government teacher in high school had the photos all the valedictorians of the past i don't know 50 60 years mm-hmm. before the high school and it was all white people and at some point it was became an asian valedictorian and then the rest were all asian nice and it was trippy to see nice. from like black and white photos to yeah. color and then it slowly became from white to all asian wow and so i grew up very comfortable i grew up like not feeling the minority even though i had ex- i had mo- i had experiences of feeling like being asian was wrong in 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 a middle in a 
grade school, mm-hmm. like from kindergarten to fifth grade. I experienced that a lot. Yeah. And then around middle school, I really felt cool and mm-hmm. awesome and happy and proud to be Asian and popular and all this stuff. And then my mom got remarried and we moved to Orange County. And I've mentioned this on the show, too, where it was such a culture shock yeah. for me. I have never experienced... I've never felt more different and alienated than I... Well, a couple moments after, but but like this overall sensation and being so vulnerable to that feeling. Yeah, I reached a point where I didn't want to be Asian. I didn't. I didn't like being Asian. I thought it was uncool, and I thought that mm. it was somewhat not shameful, but it was just it wasn't cool. And the yeah, well, maybe just it wasn't cool. Like I wanted to be cool, yeah. and I couldn't be cool because I wasn't white. Ha. Okay. And okay. thinking back is like how foolish of me to ever think that because yep. Asian people fucking rock. Mm-hmm. So definitely, I, I just from based on what you just read, I mean, it. I went through all of that, and then it took me a while to even completely accept and embrace and love and then be proud of who I am because I always knew that it was awesome to be Asian, and my mom always instilled a wonderful pride in me a healthy pride to be Asian beautiful and so I knew I had that but I had such a conflict with being at school and not feeling accepted and wanting to be cool but only the white people seem to be cool yeah so yeah I went through all of that and I think it's only made me stronger and really only made me value my my race and my culture and I'm I think I'm even because of that. I'm so much more proud than than maybe someone who didn't go through that. Yeah, I see you what know? you're saying. You were definitely going through figuring out your minority identity. You were just doing it in a place that was completely white, completely homogenous, yes. and didn't really, and were com- up completely oblivious to their race and race relations, and didn't feel like they needed to be inclusive to you. Is no, what I'm hearing. Not at all. I mean, even the first. The first day, my two my my first friend on my first day of school, which mm-hmm. was so scary, she was Hispanic. Okay. And then my like other two good friends, one was half Japanese and half white, hmm. and then the other one was also Japanese, and the other one was like half Vietnamese. So I ended up kind of mingling and be- my first my host first sort of circle of friends, even in Orange County, were Asian. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So it's like they kind of got my back in yeah. a way. You found your support system. Yeah. You and found the people that got you. Yeah. And it was only until maybe a year and a half later that I actually had any like white, like completely like a lot of white friends mm-hmm. in that school. Uh, interesting. So, yeah, definitely. That's super interesting because my upbringing was a little bit different. I noticed that all the black kids were hanging out because I wasn't hanging out with the black kids. Like, Mm. I was the black girl hanging out with all the white chicks. I had a couple of black friends growing up, but generally the black black girls, I should say, were pretty mean to me. Mm -hmm. They weren't really warm. They weren't really welcoming. My how black was I was a very constant question or the statement of you're not black, Alana, you're whitewashed or you're an Oreo. Like those words were thrown around at me a lot. We get the same thing on our like banana and Twinkie. Oh, okay. Oh, I never knew those exist. I didn't know what that. Okay. Yeah, same thing. Okay. Yeah, see. Learning something new every day. I know. Huh. Um, All that said, I wasn't accepted by them. And so I went to the people that were nicest to me, which just happened to be 
white chicks. Wow, that's so interesting. And then the extracurricular activities that I would do that my mom would take me to, a lot of them were white, with the exception of one mommy and me group called Jack and Jill. A lot of the other groups that I was a part of, they were predominantly white people or in predominantly white areas. And my mom would get some heat for that. Like, mm. oh, you should bring her up around more black people. Or, oh, how come you don't take her here or here or here? And I know that for my mom, it was probably a struggle of, do I raise my daughter around people that maybe aren't as accepting mm-hmm. towards her? Mm-hmm. Or do I keep her... Or do I raise her around these people that aren't accepting of her and just force her to figure it out? I see. And I think for a parent, you're always going to go to where your kid feels comfortable and most accepted. And for a long time, that wasn't necessarily around black people or around or in highly black areas. Uh I just always felt like I was being bullied by them. And then eventually I got to college and fell in with a really dope group of black friends. Was still hanging out with white kids, no problem, but found myself surrounded by a really amazing women of color. And I finally felt like for the first time, this makes sense. Like black girls are not just out to be mean and to get other black girls. So for you was very full circle, very a healing process. Right. Being so traumatized young and then realizing that it's it's not all. You had your own sort of realization within within your own kind. Totally. Now that's not to say that I didn't put up with white ignorance. Sure. That's not to say that I didn't have to feel the stupid sort of thoughtless questions that my white girlfriends would hurl at me because yeah. they didn't know any better. Like sure. I lived through all of that as well. It's not pleasant, but I lived through all of that as well right. because the place where I felt I was accepted was with my white girlfriends mm. way more than it was with black people or mm. Not with the I mean I definitely felt accepted with the black girlfriends that I had, but I I couldn't identify with the whole like how come all the black kids are hanging out because I was always the one from the outside looking in yeah so a little trip down memory lane yeah so this actually then brings up a good question for some African Americans they're fine to work with white people but when it comes to the personal friendships that they have when it comes to the people that they date when it comes to uh, businesses they support they choose Uh to go black and my okay. question to you is, do you think that is problematic? You mean? So I know a handful of people that their close friends are black. They don't believe that black people can be truly good friends with white people. They say it's oh. either it's, it's, it's taxing on the soul or perhaps it's problematic in ways that they are no mm. longer uh, down to deal with. I see. How I would answer your question as far as being a twofold answer is that I've realized as far as how people make friends or come together or have their group of friends based on my experience and my research mm-hmm. is that I think there are two things. I think a lot of minorities or people that are just of different races that stick together, you know, i.e. Asians, Blacks, Mexicans, um, Armenians, Persians, you know, Muslims. I think a lot of what brings them together and what keeps them together is they have such a rich cultural background that 
background. Background. <laughs> um, Asian accent. Bl- uh, background that just bonds them instantly. They can- it's almost an ex- an explained. They just yeah. they- it's just what it is. Uh, that I don't think necessarily American culture has as much because it's so young. Yeah. You know, you have a, a Chinese. A, China has been there for four thousand years. You know, it's like it's just there. You can't deny it. Yeah. Um, well, especially white culture too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Especially white culture. Mm-hmm. I mean, unless they're going back to Europe or the UK and figuring out their culture, they're not going to do that. Mm, nah, um, so then, so I think, and with that rich cultural brack, cheese, I can't <laughs> speak. Just take it one word at a time. Rich cultural background comes the same way of thinking, mm-hmm. the same way of speaking, the same way of of eating, of talking, of connecting that you... I mean, this was one example of how a lot of Asians can relate with other Asians by having, I guess we could stereotype more here, of having, relating of what a... of having a tiger mom. Yeah. And I know a lot of my girlfriends and I that are Asian can talk about our mothers and it's just like... Moment after moment after moment, we have all experienced the same Tiger moms, they are forced to be reckoned with. Right. Real talk. So, so just that in of itself would, would can bond me and my girlfriends for hours and years, yeah. you know? Um, so then, so then you, because of those similar experiences and uh, similar family lives, when you go into, if I bring over an Asian friend, she knows to take off her shoes. She knows to greet my mom. Ah, I don't have to teach her these things. She knows exactly what to do and how to be inside my household because it's the same for her. So there's that, that Mm -hmm. I think why you see groups together and only together and staying together. Mm -hmm. And then I think there's the other end where this is not about race, but this is more about class and status and how they grew up. And so let's say if you grew up in a predominantly more lower class, middle class uh, environment, and that is your frame of thinking, but not necessarily in an area full of someone your own race, you're naturally going to connect and have a group and a circle of support system that are that is an, an alignment of the way you grew up perfect yeah uh, so to me those were the most big the most distinct uh i guess cat- categorizations mm-hmm. of of what those answers could be yeah i think uh, to piggyback on the first point that you made which i think is a really valid point you know as people of color we know what our rich cultural history is. Mm-hmm. I know what it is to be black. You know what it is to be Asian. Yeah. But in the United States, the question of what is white yeah. and what is white culture right. is and, a little more undefined. And and it is very, yeah, that's a great thing to touch on. And I don't think they know that they should. I don't think, I think a lot of it is maybe they don't care. They're not educated and there's not the sense of pride behind that or that they should know that they should know hmm, because as an as especially for me being first generation of an of immigrants mm-hmm. a daughter of immigrants it's so in my face that I can't escape it yeah and so I don't think many people many white people are wondering where they came from what their white background is because a lot of it isn't from here either it's from Europe Correct. you know it's 
it's from the UK. And if they don't have family back there, mm-hmm. how can they? What do you do? You know? Yeah. And so, so I think because of that lack of culture, which isn't bad, it's just what it is. Right. And then, and then the lack of culture maybe then results in maybe some sort of, I don't know what it could be, but it's just, it's just not. And, and, and then you, and then you get people of, of color that have that rich background. Yeah. It just sort of, there's that, that tension there. Well, having a cultural richness and a strong sense of cultural identity, it helps you plant metaphoric roots mm-hmm. into the world, if you will. But mm-hmm. I think with, with asking the question of, well, what is white and what does it mean to be white? Yeah. I think that's how you get white people in a lot of subcultures. Like yes. you'll find at least one white person in every subculture. Yes. And 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 I've and I'm I'm astounded. I mean, I've met some white people that like know more about me about certain things and mm-hmm. not being Asian or, you know, so on and so forth. And I think that's amazing. And I think it's because that they don't have it that they're searching. Well, definitely. Yeah. Because in a way, if you don't have it, you have to search for something, some sort of cultural identity that mm-hmm. makes sense to you. Because if you don't, you run the risk of being a, quote, stupid, plain white person. Right. Which, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, absolutely true. So you, I think the, the always seeing a a a white person in every subculture is an answer to that yeah I, I think and the more and more that can happen I think it, it's it's all really good and so I think to answer your question I don't think that there's a wrong or right I think if they feel comfortable in only having black friends then then they should just do that mm-hmm. and if they're only gonna have black friends because they don't feel comfortable with white people then that is something they should look at yeah you know because i i know for sure there are i know there are some asians out there that just don't feel comfortable with white people because they don't know how to connect with white people ah there you go you know maybe there's a language a lot of it is a language barrier but yeah. a lot of it is they they could be af- they're afraid mm-hmm. they don't speak english very good and so they don't know what to do but then my answer my question to them is is well you're in america if, if, you, if you you should want to you know <laughs> open up and well, make some American friends. Yeah, but that's easier said than done. Oh, definitely. Because from a black perspective, the couple of black people that I know that are like white people, you can work with them, but you can't be friends with them. That's the sense of people saying, I look to my friends and my friend group for solace, mm. for relaxation, mm. to just go and let my hair down. Yes. And for some black people, they can't always do that around oh, white people. Yeah, I, I get it. Totally. Because there's a sense of I have to mind my P's and Q's when I'm with white people. I have to speak in a certain way. I have to present in a certain mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. I totally I, get it. Yeah. I don't want to work a nine to five day and go hang out with a group of friends yes. and have to field ignorant questions right. about race right. from a white girl. I don't want to have to answer how come this is racist. I don't want to have to answer can you explain this to me you're the only black friend i have that shit is real and yeah. that goes down i know and for some black people they're like uh-uh look I, I get that we're friends but i am not your history book yeah i am not your black pop culture zeitgeist right like i'm not that person i come to my friends to relax just like you do so mm-hmm. there is that sense of for some black people this idea of being friends with a white person 
you know, it's more work than worth. But mm-hmm. also, you never know what you're truly getting mm-hmm. because black people think that white people are never going to put aside their white privilege mm-hmm. to benefit a person of color. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where it really that's where the conundrum really lies. Yeah. Is if I'm friends with black people, I know they're going to have my back until the end. I'm sure you feel the same with Asian girls. Yeah. They're going to have my back. But can I trust that in a me versus them situation, can I trust that my white girlfriend is going to put her white privilege to the side and forsake white the white yeah. people that she knows right. to defend me? Mm-hmm. And a lot of black people would say, I don't know. I know. It's so it's so tough because mm-hmm. obviously, too, the way they grew up, I'm sure there's a lot of trauma and a lot of things that happened that has has made them come up with this decision. Mm -hmm. And I guess my only thing to say to that would be, it's more of being a little more human and not giving in to so much of the fear and the anger, whatever it is that's all behind there. Because then as minorities and as people of ethnic cultures and background, we're not helping the cause if if we're always going back to that. I see what you're the saying. The more we can be ourselves and be brave and be bold and be uncomfortable mm-hmm. in maybe answering someone's ignorant question or ignorant behavior, then we educate them to be a better person that will in turn help our grandkids have a more easier Well-rounded life. view. Well-rounded view. I agree. Yes. I and agree that's way with what harder you're said than done. I agree with what you're saying. The only devil's advocate point I want to make is there are generations of black people living on this earth today that have lived through integration. Or sorry, that have lived through segregation and integration. Mm-hmm. And those black people, I know because I got some of my family, are the first to be like, you don't really know what it was like. Like, we've seen the good, the bad, the ugly, and the questionable when it comes to white people because we have lived through both of those really challenging and tough times. So I think it's easy for our generation to be like, just be open-minded, just be welcoming. Which, in a sense... Our elders and their experiences and where they've come from and the hardships that they have seen at the hands of white people. That's that's all I want to say. But I agree with the point you originally made. I'm right there with you. Which I think maybe in that sense, it's it's then the cause is on our side that if we haven't gone through so much, then maybe it's easier to have a more lighter view on it. Yeah. Because we're not so the, the dark times. We, do, we never experienced it, so we can only look forward. We totally. can only think about the better, yeah. in a sense. So I but, feel like, what's, I our, what's our call to action? Because to me, it's really simple. Be inclusive. Completely. Just be 100% inclusive. Yeah. And that also includes, if you see a cluster of black folks and you think they are talking about something funny and you want in and you are a white person... Don't run away in fear. Yeah. Lean into that discomfort. You know, the same discomfort (laughs) that black people have when they're in predominantly white areas. Yeah, we get uncomfortable too. Right. It's okay to be uncomfortable. I think those feelings, like I said before, are all mutual and across the board and universal. Everyone's been uncomfortable in those situations. I think where I'd come from is just be brave. You know, don't the minute you make it about the minute that thought crosses your mind of, oh, fuck, it's all black people. Oh, fuck, it's all Asian people. You've already made it about that. Yeah. You know, so cancel that thought. And if you can just say, 
hey guys, what's up? And and still be really uncomfortable. It's 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 a small victory yeah. for yourself, for our planet, for the race. Mm-hmm. So just be brave. And what's the worst that can happen? Really? That's a good question. What um, is the worst that right, can happen? Literally, what is the worst that can happen? Yeah. Unless you are, I don't know what, but, but unless... What is the ask yourself? What is the what's worst that can happen? I'm just really afraid that they might say what's okay, and if they do say something, or if they they are a certain way that you expect it, or if you're if you say something that might have maybe sounded offended, or you don't know what to do. What is the worst that can happen? All right, you learn from it. You go on. You move on. You do yeah. it again next time. Yeah, you they're know? not going to kill you. No, they're not going to bite you. No. Yeah. They're We're not, not going to damage your car, no. your life, your property. Right. Yeah. Hopefully you are a good person and karma's on your side. <laughs> I love it. Be inclusive and be brave. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Well, that's our show, guys. I hope that we illuminated some some, some light on this yes. topic. Um, it was definitely a nice topic for us to talk about. Yeah. It's, it's a nice trip down memory lane. It is, definitely. We've come a long way. Yeah. And we're sharing all of our experiences with you. With you guys. We hope you enjoyed it. This episode was produced by Christian Humes at Zeitheist. If you would like to find Jackie or I on the pod, Jackie or I, or the podcast. <laughs> or the podcast. On Instagram, go ahead and uh, Black and Yellow Podcast. On Instagram, yep. I am Alana Webster, or I am at Renegade of Fun. I am Jacqueline Chung Young. And if you have any thoughts, comments, questions, uh, if you if there's anything you agree or don't agree with, message us. We are we will be more than happy to engage in conversation with you, and we hope to see you next time. Happy spring, guys! Take it easy. Bye bye.